So I just have a couple quick announcements. Uh, number one, as announced before, yes, last week, Jazakumullah khair for people who have donated uh, for the peanut butter drive for children, hungry children everywhere, in collaboration with NTFB. Last week, uh, this week, we donated, uh, the youth donated approximately 800 pounds of peanut butter. Takbir. 800 pounds, that's a lot, mashallah. This, the community is, mashallah, helped support it. So it was a great uh, success, and the NTFB, they're working on, they're, they said that they're working on putting a permanent plaque of EPIC in their building. Because, alhamdulillah, we have been working very closely with them, working with them to support all their projects, inshallah ta'ala. That's number one. Number two, as announced, alhamdulillah, EPIC, the, we have a Thanksgiving Umrah with Dr. Yasser, inshallah, Sheikh Yasser, inshallah ta'ala. It's from November 18th through 27th, I believe. Um, and then we, this tour is, uh, we have a tour for Taif, and Badr as well, inshallah. If you have not registered, we have a few seats left. So go ahead and register for it. Talk to the, uh, the front office if you need any other additional information on any of the board members, inshallah ta'ala. That's two. Number three, inshallah, like announced, as announced last week, the boards and commissions for the city council, for the, for the city of Plano, they're looking for volunteers. This is our opportunity to step up and make ourselves heard. So I encourage you all to please join the boards and commissions. There are different ones. There's planning and zoning, oral uh, planning, healthcare, schools. There's so many boards and commissions. We have a flyer out there. You should have it in your newsletter as well. Talk to Brother Fazal Sayyid. He's leading that effort, inshallah, if you need any support. But we highly encourage. It's about time for us to step up and participate in these boards, inshallah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah who created the heavens and earth in six days and then rose over the majestic throne. He created Adam by joining the soul with earth's clay, blowing his ruh into flesh and bone. And he created us from a mixture of fluids, transforming into stages from embryo to child until we are fully grown. He revealed to us a scripture and gave us a sharia so that the Sirat al-Mustaqeem may be shown. He told Nuh to build the Ark. He commanded Ibrahim to build the Kaaba, and in it he placed the sacred black stone. He gave Isa the power to heal and resurrect, and he saved Musa from the armies of Fir'aun. And he chose our Prophet wasallam to make him from amongst the Anbiya the most honored and the most well-known. As to what follows, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us to be conscious of him in the Quran when he says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Dear Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has reminded us in the Quran of the consequences of injustice, of dhulm, and of the final result of those who perpetuate dhulm. وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ Do not think, O mankind, that Allah is not aware of the injustices that the wrongdoers are perpetrating. When we see evil in the world, when we see tyrants, when we see rulers that are committing transgressions against their people, Allah is saying, don't think I am unaware. إِنَّمَا يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ I am going to cause them to wait. They shall be delayed until that day when the eyes will be staring empty, rushing forward, their heads raised up, and they're not going to be glancing back, and their hearts are empty in dread and fear. The Quran and Sunnah has come to us with so many warnings against transgression, against dhulm. Our Prophet ﷺ said that Allah said, O oh my servants, I have made dhulm haram on me, and I have made it haram between all of you. So do not transgress against the rights of others. Transgression, dhulm, takes many forms. Of them, two individuals against one another. Somebody takes your wealth, somebody transgresses your honor. But do you know what the greatest dhulm is that a human can do against another human? Do you know the highest level of dhulm that the Qur'an criticizes explicitly? It is the dhulm of tyrannical regimes. It is the dhulm of a government that has been given power to take care of the people. And instead of taking care of the people, they use it to take the lives of the people, to destroy the property of the people, to cause civil war amongst the people. Rather than establishing law and order, these tyrannical regimes spread fitna and fasad and are the worst of the worst. And that is why, who is the worst human being that the Quran mentions? Who is that one individual that is considered to be the worst of mankind? Allah tells us, and Allah tells us why. إِنَّ فِرْعَوْنَ عَلَى فِي الْأَرْضِ وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيَعَ يَسْتَضْعِفُ طَائِفَةَ مِنْهُمْ يُذَبِّحُ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَيَسْتَحْيِي نِسَاءَهُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُفْسِدِينَ Fir'aun was the worst of the worst. Now, 
Fir'aun has a long litany of evil. Fir'aun has done and Fir'aun has done and Fir'aun has done. Fir'aun even said, Ana rabbukumul billah. Fir'aun said, I am your God. And that is no doubt the worst dhulm that a man can do against the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when it came to saying that Fir'aun was the worst of the worst, Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned another reality. What was that reality? Inna Fir'auna ala fil ardi. Fir'aun transgressed in this world. Fir'aun transgressed in this world. He ruled over the earth in evil. He divided his own people up. He divided his own people up and he broke his people into different groups, torturing one group, humiliating another group. And when we look at the Fir'aunic methodology, Fir'aun is gone. We don't have Fir'aun. But do you know what we have left? Fir'aunic methodology. What is Fir'aunic methodology? Fir'aunic methodology is a toxic mix of racial superiority and of a false sense of nation pride, nation state, and of a false sense of one's religion being the best and it is not the best. A toxic mix of race, nation state, and false religion. This is Fir'aun's methodology. When you look at this methodology in human history, and when you see its manifestations in today's world, we find that this toxic methodology reared its head multiple times during the worst genocides of the last century. What was Nazism except a modern manifestation of this toxic mix? What happened in Bosnia except the manifestation of this toxic mix? What happened in Rwanda except a manifestation of this toxic mix? And when we look at what is surviving of this toxic mix in the world today, we find there are four primary ideologies. We don't have time for all four of them. But very quickly, number one and two, we don't have time for them today. Number one is the far right of our own lands and of all the Western worlds. That toxic mix of racial superiority. They think that they're white and everybody else is not, so they're better. The toxic mix of nation state. We are the real Americans, the real Europeans. And that toxic mix of thinking their religion is somehow different and better than all other religions. That's the far right. That's number one. Number two, we have, of course, the apartheid regime of Israel, which has a similar ideology. And today's khutbah will concentrate a little bit on three and four. Number three is the Chinese government and its persecution of our Uyghur brothers and sisters. And number four is the rise of the BJP and what is happening in India. These are the four remnants of Fir'aun's ideology and methodology. Fir'aun is gone. But that toxic combination that he created has remained on this earth and it represents the greatest threat to human safety and peace and security. And in today's khutbah, I want to remind my brothers and sisters, I want to remind us of the reality of what is happening and of the potential, maybe even of the realization of genocide that is occurring in various places in the world and in particular in China and perhaps looming on the horizon, we seek Allah's refuge in India. The world's most famous professor of genocide studies, he's retired now, he's in his 70s. He's taught 50 years at universities, published dozens, hundreds of articles and books he is recognized as the authority. He studied every genocide in human history. His name is Dr. Gregory Stanton. He has founded a genocide studies watch. You can find this online. He is not a religious person. He's just an academic. He has written an article about the 10 stages of genocide. He has studied every genocide in human history and said whenever a genocide occurs, these are the 10 stages. The first two or three are relatively innocent. The last two or three, it's too late, it's gone. We need to know this list, use it as a litmus test. Take this list and apply it to China, to India, to other countries, what is going on. And when we use this list, the results should make all of us look deeper. We should genuinely be alarmed and worried about the realities of what is going on. Very briefly, and I do encourage you to Google this and look it up and read it yourself, but in this khutbah, I'll very briefly introduce. Stage number one, which is very innocent, classification. You have to classify. In and of itself, classification is okay. I am 
Indian American, Pakistani American, Bengali American, African American, that's all fine, we classify. But everything begins with that classification. Something has to be done by classifying. So far so good. Classification in and of itself is good. Number two, you take that classification and you give it symbolism. Symbolization is the term. You symbolize, you make classification more than just identification, more than just your heritage. You give it symbolic power. You give it a, a derogatory term. You take a clothing or a dress or you use the slur that makes them feel lesser than the other people. So for example, in India, Muslims are called the invaders, as if they are not a part and parcel of India. As if India today is not shaped by and through Islam. The fact of the matter, modern India would not be recognizable without the contributions of the Muslims for the last 12 and a half centuries. But still, the rhetoric of the BJP, these are the invaders, they're coming from the outside. This is what we call symbolization. In China, the Uyghurs are called terrorists. That is the term that is used for them. This is symbolization. This is no longer classification. This is no longer ethnic identification. You have taken that ethnic identification. You've given it more than what it means. This is stage two. Stage three, discrimination at the social level. People begin discriminating against other people. People begin boycotting the shops of the people of that group. People began speaking or not hiring or problems happen in society. If a person applies for the job, he shall not be given that job because of his or her background. So we start with discrimination. Begins social, begins at the grassroots. Slowly but surely, it makes its way up to any type of parliament or government. And eventually, discrimination is legalized. It is enshrined in the law. The Nazis forced people of the Jewish faith to wear different clothes. They forced Jewish shops to display their identity. In India, a citizenship amendment bill was passed, which was very clearly targeted against the Muslim citizens. Today, in China, the Chinese government forced Apple. When I say forced, I mean by money. There is no gun to the head of this corporation. They forced, quote-unquote, Apple to remove all Quran apps. You cannot even read the Quran in China anymore from the phone. This is what you call discrimination. Stage four, dehumanization. Once you are discriminating, now you start looking at the other group as not being human anymore. You don't look at them as your fellow human beings. Complete lack of any sense of humanity. Complete lack of compassion, of rahmah. And we see this in every single place of genocide. Last week in India, a Muslim was killed by the military. And a journalist, a journalist, no background in military. He's not carrying a gun. He has a camera. A journalist is so happy and so angry at this Muslim in front of the army. He jumps on the body of the Muslim repeatedly. And the army just sits there and does nothing. They're not human. You're not considered to be a human when this begins. In India as well, the complete lack of compassion of rounding up innocent farmers, elderly men with beards, simply because they have an Islamic identity, harassing, intimidating, forcing them by mob mentality to shout Hindu slogans on the streets, videotaping, and the police are well aware, and nothing is happening. This is dehumanization. And of course in China, how much can be said about this? This leads to stage five, Actual organization. This isn't just random, you see a Muslim, something happens. No. Now, WhatsApp messengers are passed around. And in India, this is very common. WhatsApp messengers are passed around. We're meeting at this time and place. We're going to attack that Muslim house. Come here, we're going to desecrate that masjid. Mobs are formed. Those mini mobs lead to militias, armed militias. These militias are then backed by the police. The police then themselves get involved. Eventually, the government itself gets dragged in and they start perpetuating this type of mass mobilization. Organized violence. Step four was not organized. Step five is now organized. Stage six, according to this author, polarization. And what this means, because whenever, whenever this type of rhetoric begins, it always begins with the majority of the population not wanting this rhetoric because they realize it's going to harm them. The majority do not want civil war. The majority try to stand up and push back. 
As the pressure keeps on increasing, that majority becomes silenced. That majority is forced to take sides. And generally speaking, the majority will side with the perpetrators of violence because they don't want to be themselves the victims of violence. And so what happens is polarization. You no longer have a middle ground of sensibility. You no longer have a critical mass that can prevent a war because they have been intimidated. This is exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. It is happening right now in India where there are plenty of parties that weren't like this. They weren't pro-BJP. In southern India, generally speaking, they were not pro-BJP. But what is happening now? Polarization. Pressure is being put. There is no middle camp or the middle camp is dwindling. The moderates cease to exist. And when only the radicals are left, what is going to happen to the victim class? What is going to happen to the minority when there is no large middle moderate to prevent anything that is happening? We are seeing as we speak right now the polarization that is taking place in India. Of course, in China, it's already past this stage. In China, we are on stage eight. Stage eight, public mass persecution, government-sponsored. Persecution, not yet debts yet. Persecution. Nobody just starts extermination overnight. No, you ratchet up a little bit. You turn on the fire a little bit. You put the pressure higher. Mass persecution, like Nazi Germany, round them up, throw them to the concentration camps. Like China, round up all the Uyghurs, the largest concentration camps since World War II. Satellite images exist. Nobody can claim now we didn't know. You know the Allied forces when they invaded, uh, uh, when they invaded Poland, they invaded Germany, they shrugged their shoulders and said, oh, we didn't know this is happening. That is possible, most likely a lie. But still, we can say at least there was no satellite back then. Now, the United Nations has publicly said there are concentration camps in East Turkestan. East Turkestan, which is, of course, what the Chinese call that province. That province is not the Xinjiang province. Xinjiang is the name that the Chinese gave. It is a Turkestan ethnicity, East Turkestan. The Chinese invaded 100 years ago. They took it over, and for the last 100 years, they have been attempting to eliminate Islamic identity. For the last 10 years, they have raised their bar of, of persecution, and they have rounded up anybody who does anything that is Islamic. Last week I posted on Facebook that a businessman, not a religious person, who donated funds, less than $3,000, to build a masjid in his village, he was rounded up and persecuted until he died. His body was handed back to his relatives, cause of death unknown. Anybody who prays, who fasts, who does anything, anybody who's related to anybody who's praying or fasting, anybody who's a visible Muslim living in Europe, I have friends here, there are people in this audience who are Uyghurs. Just because they are coming to the masjid, their brothers are in danger, their sisters are in danger. Subhanallah. This is what you call mass persecution. The Uyghur women, our sisters, are forcibly married to Han Chinese. Forcibly against their will, taken away from the homes of their parents and forced to go and live with the other people with who are not from their faith or their background. As we are aware in Ramadan, you're not allowed to fast in that province. And of course in India, especially in the Assam province, perhaps this stage has already been reached of mass persecution. Stage nine is the actual extermination and mass deaths. Stage nine is when Hitler actually goes and kills everybody that opposes him. The concentration camps then throw in the gas and they actually put them in the gas chambers. Stage nine, maybe in China some places, it is happening, but it is not yet reached. And that is why we have to raise awareness. That is why every one of us has to do something. Because stage 9 is the end. What is stage 10 if stage 9 is the end? Stage 10, after it occurs, denial. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, we are a free country. Oh, we are fully, you know, completely democratic. And denial, of course, it permeates from stage 1 to 9. Denial is always constant. To this day, the BJP government says, we are a democracy. China says, oh, this is an internal affair. We are treating them with humanity. This is a denial. You keep on denying to the very end. So, dear brothers and sisters, if you look at this 10-point list, both India and China have passed the half mark. China is on number eight now. India is on number six and in some places between seven and eight. If it continues, subhanAllah, the identity of Chinese Muslims will be destroyed. If this continues, there is no way out for India except moving to stage eight and then God forbid stage nine. 
The reason therefore that I'm giving this khutbah, dear Muslims, is that each and every one of us needs to be aware and then have some plan, some effort, something that they do. And I'm going to make a very special appeal today to those Muslims that are from this region and land, those Muslims whose heritage goes back to that land that was known once upon a time as Hindustan. And I mean here, Muslims of Indian nationality, Pakistani nationality, Bengali nationality, all of us, our heritage, it goes back to that land. We are well aware that land has shaped us who we are today. We would not be the people that we are, the language that we speak, the cultures that we have, the cuisines, our friends and relatives, everything, it is shaped from that region and that land. It is especially imperative of Muslims of that origin to take a stand and to make sure that they do something, whatever they can. Brothers and sisters, there are so many projects of the Ummah. We have to build Masajid here, finance the Islamic schools. Alhamdulillah, we have so many nationalities and ethnicities. And Alhamdulillah, our brothers from other backgrounds can help in those causes. But we cannot expect a brother from Arabia, a brother from Egypt to understand what is going on in India. That's our responsibility to educate. That's our responsibility to clarify and explain. If we remain silent, if we don't take charge, then who else is going to take charge? So every one of us has to do our bit. And every one of us has to have something so that the least that we can do on the day of judgment, we can say, Oh Allah, I tried. I wasn't a politician. I wasn't an army man. I didn't have a Salahuddin Ayyubi's army at my disposal. But I was an individual. This was my capability. And this is what I did. And dear brothers and sisters, one of the things that I want to raise over here as well is that the least that we can do, educate ourselves and educate others. I mean, that doesn't require anything. Read a few paragraphs, study up what is the BJP, what is the origin, and then educate your family and friends on Facebook, in your you know, uh, colleagues, your neighbors, whenever you speak, bring up this topic so that at least public awareness can be raised. So many people are unaware that the BJP is actually from an organization called the RSS. And the RSS and Hitler's Nazi party were actually twin parties. Literally, this is not some joke, this is not some exaggeration. The RSS and the founders of the RSS and Hitler and his Nazi party, they took from each other and they benefited from each other. This BJP, it is the literal biological child of RSS. What happened to RSS? Why is there no more RSS? Because moderate Hindus banned RSS. This isn't Muslims. This isn't fundamentalists. This isn't, no. Hindus themselves who understood that this entity is going to destroy our country. If we allow this cancer, it will take us over. And do you want to know what RSS did? And this is something every Muslim should be aware of. And if you don't know it, I'll teach it to you and quote it to others the universally revered Indian freedom fighter, Mahatma Gandhi. Do you know how he died? RSS assassinated him. A member of this fanatical Hindutva entity felt that Mahatma Gandhi had betrayed their version of that toxic filth known as Hindutva ideology. And so in his anger, he assassinated the father of India. Do you understand how radical you must be to think that Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian freedom fighter, is a danger to India? And because of this, the RSS was banned. Jawaharlal Nehru, the next prime minister, the people begged him to lift the ban. And Nehru literally writes to another minister. He goes, we have absolute evidence that the RSS is following in the lines of Nazi Hitler Germany. We cannot allow this in India. This is Nehru, not a, not a Muslim, not a fundamentalist. Nehru, a secular, but a, a, a person who understands we cannot allow this fanaticism. And so he banned RSS. What happened? RSS is banned, and so it gives birth to an illegitimate child. That illegitimate child is the BJP. This is the party that is now currently ruling India. What do you think is going to happen? Also, dear Muslims, I speak to you from an American platform in an American masjid. We need to bring up another sad reality. Yes, the BJP is in India, but do you know where it is extremely active? Right here in America. It is unbelievable that this in entity is getting involved in our elections here in America. In every single campaign of Congress or of Senate, they look at which of the two candidates will be better for the BJP. And they finance with money 
Which candidate will be better for their party? They are interfering in our own elections. And here we are, completely oblivious of what is happening in our land. And this is where we need to come in. At every single level, from the lowest level to the highest, the BJP has plenty of organizations active here. They are boycotting Muslim restaurants and Muslim-owned institutions. They are targeting academics and Muslim preachers and teachers. They are targeting secular people. There's a very famous professor in Rutgers by the name of Audrey Trushka. She's a, a Caucasian professor, not religious, nothing. She's written some really good books about Muslim India, Hindu, uh, Muslim religion about Aurangzeb, about the Mughal Empire, very beautiful academic books. And because these books praise the contributions of the Muslims to India, the Hindutva have targeted her and threatened her life. This is a professor here in this land. She needs armed guards whenever she goes to an event. This should be front page news of every single mainstream paper. This is our land and they're interfering in our land. They're making it difficult for people in America to preach and teach the truth. Who am I compared to the power of the BJP? Last year, I made one post, my first post about the rise of the, or maybe two years ago, I forgot. I made one post about the rise of the BJP. We have to be you know, careful of this. Who am I compared to the BJP? My Facebook page was attacked viciously. Thousands of what is called bots, look this up. They began to attack and try to hack my page. I was panicking, what is going on? I've never seen this. I contacted Facebook, the official company. They responded back, they hardly respond back. This time they responded back and they said, and I quote, we have never seen anything like this. Your Facebook page is being targeted from thousands of bots in India. And I'm like, what, me? What I mean, think about that. They have the resources to target a minor cleric like myself so that I cannot even post about what is happening on in their country. Then what do you think they're going to do to congressmen, to senators? What do you think they're going to do to actual academics? And this is happening where? In our own soil here in America. And this leads me to my final point of the first khutbah. If this is happening here and the people that are doing it are based here, Who's going to respond to them? Muslims in India? They are worried about their own lives. This is our duty and responsibility. This is what we need to do. See what is happening at every level of politics. Understand what these organizations are doing. Can you believe funds are being sent from here in Dallas, in Houston, in Chicago to help the BJP over there? Hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Funds are being raised here to influence politicians of our own land. And here we are completely oblivious to what is going on. Dear Muslims, we probably cannot change the course of history single-handedly. But we cannot, we simply cannot afford to be apathetic or neutral. Our humanity demands that we act. Our privileged status here in this land of America demands that we act. And most importantly, our Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands that we take action in defense of our innocent brothers and sisters around the world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me and you with and through the Quran. And may He make us of those who its verses they understand and applies halal and haram throughout our lifespan. I ask Allah's forgiveness. You as well ask Him for He is the Ghafoor and the Rahman. Alhamdulillah, all praises due to Allah, the one and the unique. It is He alone that we worship and it is His blessings that we seek. He is the Lord of the oppressed and He answers the dua of the weak. The question that we all have now, what can I possibly do? What can I do? I'm just one person. And the response, just like we see the other group is also composed of one person, one person, one person. What do you think they are? Who do you think they are? They are the same doctors, engineers, accountants that we are. But they have mobilized and they have a vision and they're spending money for causes that are completely batil. They're spending money to stop the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're right. I single-handedly cannot stop the entire army of the BJP. You're right. 
But I cannot just sit back and ignore. So what can we do? First and foremost, at the simple theological level, we begin as we always begin internally. We begin by connecting our hearts with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have what they do not have. We have Allah. Allah is our mawla and they have no mawla. So we have to develop connections with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to make sure that we are worthy of Allah's help. And that is the first but that is never the end result. Religion is not just coming to the masjid and praying. Religion is not just rituals. Our Prophet didn't just pray and dhikr in Mecca. No, he has a plan, he has a vision. You have to have action. And so at the next level, you must do something physical. You must have a physical plan. Now what that plan is, I have said many times, that's not my area of expertise. I am a religious cleric. I am a theologian. I study Quran and Sunnah. That's what you get from me, the religious motivation. To have a political plan, Plan. You need to bring in the experts, the media, the PR. You need to bring in the people who know how to cause an impact and put together with religion, with Iman, and then with Amal al-Salih, with a plan. That is how we bring about that change. But there are plenty of things that can be done. At the individual level, public awareness. Make sure that you're spreading knowledge of this. At the individual level, find out who your congressman, senator is and find out what the BJP has done with them and find out what organizations, and there are a very few but there are Muslim organizations, Indian Muslim organizations that are involved in campaigning, that are involved in public awareness. Find out what they are, what they're doing. Ask what help they need and then give money as well. There is no doubt, brothers and sisters, that money that we give in this country of America, it will go a long way because our politicians are the ones being bribed by the other side. Do what you can at that level. Also, do a bit of reading. Understand what is Islamic history in India. We had a glorious history. As I said, this is not the time and place but the Hindutva party is corrupting and changing the reality of Islam in India Muslims did not come as outside invaders Muslims came and took India to a new level of civilization yes the Mughals ruled over India but they did not rule like the British as outsiders they ruled as Indians they took on the culture they took on the language and they gave to the language and culture they never ruled as an outside class they ruled as an inside class loving the land of India helping the people of India, not like the British raping and plundering and taking trillions of dollars back to England. It is a travesty of the highest magnitude that the Hindutva gets away with such a blatant lie of calling us Muslims to be the invaders. It is true that Muslims came, but then when they came, they contributed and they did much and they helped shape the culture and the language. You wouldn't speak Hindi the way we speak it were it not for the Arabic influence on Hindi. We would not have the culture of India without the influence of the Muslims of India. So India as it stands today is a mix of many cultures and Islamic culture is one of the main cultures. This is simple education. It's not controversial. There's nothing hating, uh, raising hatred. It's just factual and you keep on responding at the individual level and then higher up if you have PR skills, media skills, political skills, that will be done by those who are qualified to do so. But the bottom line, brothers and sisters, the bottom line, we cannot be apathetic and neutral. Every one of us has a role to play. Just like they're doing it, we too have to do our job. And then when we do our job, then we can put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't just sit back and say Allah will take care of. No, we do what we can. We strive for everything we can do. And then we say, tawakkalt ala Allah. We tie the camel. We haven't done that yet. We tie the camel. And then we say, the rest is up to you. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah azza wa reminds us in the Quran. Allah Azza wa Jalla reminds us in the Quran, وَكَانَ حَقًّا عَلَيْنَا نَصْرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ It is our obligation to help the believers. Allah will help, but Allah is going to see what are we doing. And Allah Azza wa Jalla reminds us, أَلَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ Verily, the help of Allah is close by. أَلَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ أَلَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ Memorize these verses. Keep on saying them. Put your hope in Allah. Be optimistic about the future. And then try your best. Try your best to make sure that we don't see this 10-point list continue down till we get to point 8 and 9. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect our brothers and sisters around the globe. May Allah azza wa grant his special protection 
protection to our Uyghur brothers and sisters. May Allah Azza avert calamities from our Indian brothers and sisters. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala show us peace and sakina in all of these lands. May Allah Azza forgive our sins and forgive our incompetence for not being able to do more. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala bless us with iman and taqwa. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala allow our progeny to be faithful to our faith. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala cause us to be role model citizens embodying the faith of our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and showing the message of Islam. Dear Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began with a command with himself and then he seconded it with the angels themselves and then he caused us to follow along when he said, Inna allaha wa malaikatu yusalluna ala nabi ya ayuhaladheena amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik wa an'im ala abdika rasulika muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Ibadallah, inna allaha ta'ala ya'muru bil'adli wal-ihsani wa ita'id al-qurba wa yanha an al-fahshai wal-munkari wal-baghi يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم لي ولكم واشكروه يزد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة If there's any space please fill up the gaps inshallah الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين ولا تحسبن الله غافلا عما يعمل الظالمون إنما يؤخرهم ليوم تشخص فيه الأبصار مهطعين مقنعي رؤوسهم لا يرتد إليهم طرفهم وأفئدتهم هواء وأنذر الناس يوم يأتيهم العذاب فيقول الذين ظلموا ربنا ربنا أخرنا إلى أجل قريب نجب دعوتك ونتبع الرسل أولم تكونوا أقسمتم من قبل ما لكم من زوال وسكنتم وسكنتم في مساكن الذين ظلموا أنفسهم وتبين لكم كيف فعلنا بهم وضربنا لكم الأمثال وقد مكروا مكرهم وعند الله مكرهم وإن كان مكرهم لتزول منه الجبال فلا تحسبن الله مخلف وعده رسله إن الله عزيز ذو انتقام يوم تبدل الأرض غير الأرض والسماوات 
وبرزوا لله الواحد القهار وترى المجرمين يومئذ مقرنين في الأصفاد سرابيلهم من قطران وتغشى وجوههم النار ليجزي الله كل نفس ما كسبت إن الله سريع الحساب هذا بلاغ للناس ولينذروا به وليعلموا أنما هو إله واحد وليذكر أولو الألباب الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آبين والسماء ذات البروج واليوم الموعود وشاهد ومشهود قتل أصحاب الأخدود النار ذات الوقود إذ هم عليها قعود وهم على ما يفعلون بالمؤمنين شهود وما نقموا منهم إلا أن يؤمنوا بالله العزيز الحميد الذي له ملك السماوات والأرض والله على كل شيء شهيد إن الذين فتنوا المؤمنين والمؤمنات ثم لم يتوبوا ثم لم يتوبوا فلهم عذاب جهنم ولهم عذاب الحريق إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات لهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار ذلك الفوز الكبير إن بطش ربك لشديد إنه هو يبدئ ويعيد وهو الغفور الودود ذو العرش المجيد فعال لما يريد هل أتاك حديث الجنود فرعون وثمود بل الذين كفروا في تكذيب والله من ورائهم محيط بل هو قرآن مجيد في لوح محفوظ الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Please donate on your way out uh, for Murjid operation, at least a $20, inshallah. Um, there is a request for dua. Sheikh uh, Rashida, Sister Rashida Rajput passed away, and her janaja will happen at 3.45 at ICF in Frisco Murjid, inshallah. Allahumma gafir laha wa rahamaha wa aafiha wa aafu anha wa akan wuzulaha wa asim udkhalaha. Allahumma gafirlaha bil maa'i wa thalji wal barad arahumma naqqiha min al-dhunub al-qatai kama yunaqa al-thawb al-abiyadu min al-danas. Allahumma jazib al-hasanati ihsana wa basiyati afwan wa ghufrana. O Allah, grant forgiveness to her and grant her jannah to her those. O Allah, grant those who have lived after her patience and give them ajr for their calamity. O sallallahu wa sallam wa barakatuh.